Warning. This episode will include mentions and or discussions of physical abuse, violence, mental illness, death, and suicide. Hello everyone, welcome to the KAR Recap. I'm your host, Kristen Rhoda. I am an English and music student who loves discovering, reading, and exploring old and new works of literature, television, and film. This podcast is partnered with my Instagram blog, KAR. After two to three weeks of reading the chosen novel, I discuss the plot, the background, the characters, and certain themes and other literary devices that stuck out to me. So if you enjoyed the work, or even if you didn't like it, let's just talk. If you haven't read the book, please know that this episode contains spoilers. Remember, I'm just as curious as you are, so there's no right or wrong here. Just learning and some healthy discussion. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. In this episode, we're talking about one of the most popular and iconic classic novels of all time, The Great Gatsby. This novel was written by F. Scott Fitzgerald and published in 1925. Fitzgerald was born in 1986 in St. Paul, Minnesota. Growing up, he was a very intelligent and talented child. He attended the Newman School and continued to collegiate studies at Princeton. At Princeton, he prioritized his writing over his classes and dropped out in 1917. He joined the Army and was discharged in 1918. After his discharge, Fitzgerald moved to New York and worked in advertising for a few months. He married his girlfriend, Zelda, and then moved back to St. Paul to continue writing. Some other books he published include This Side of Paradise in 1920 and The Beautiful and Damned in 1922. But his most popular work was and is to this day The Great Gatsby. It was praised as a definitive portrait of the Warring Twenties. It is also one of the most important literary works in high school and college courses. You may have been required to read it one or more times, but for this episode, I'll make the discussion more fun. So join me as I explore the plot, characters, important literary devices, and themes. Ah, the Roaring Twenties. It wasn't just the fashion and the dancing that made this era what it was. It was also a decade of social and political change. Rather than farms, many Americans were moving to the big city. This caused the nation's wealth to double in this decade and brought about a massive economic growth. America became what is called a consumer society, which means everyone was buying and consuming the same things over and over again. And this mass consumption was one of, if not the most important aspect of American culture during this time. People were also listening to the same music, dancing the same, wearing the same styles, talking the same, you name it. It was also a new era for women, and some were not very happy about this. In 1920, the 19th Amendment was passed, finally allowing suffrage for women. One of the most popular looks among young ladies was the bob and shorter skirts. The popular belief about them was that they also drank and smoked too much and that they were too sexual. In a society that was still heavy on gender roles and norms, of course they were perceived as unladylike and silly. So these young girls were called flappers. This decade was also called the Jazz Age. Many young people in America were enjoying the freedoms of going wherever they wanted in their cars and doing whatever they wanted. 
If there was anything many of them loved to do, it was go to parties and dance. Many jazz bands performed at these parties in other venues, and the partygoers danced popular dances of that time, like the Cakewalk, the Flea Hop, and the Charleston. So, how was the great Gatsby the definitive portrait of this age? Well, this novel highlights all of these aspects of this decade's culture, and provides a look into why it was a little dangerous to get into. It all starts with Nick Carraway, our narrator. Nick has just moved to the West Egg, which was known as the place for new money and works as a bond salesman. Across the water in East Egg, the place for old money, lived his cousin Daisy Buchanan and her husband Tom Buchanan. He lives next door to the mysterious filthy rich Jay Gatsby, who throws many huge parties but doesn't participate. Gatsby also courted Daisy in the past and is still in love with her. One day, Nick visits the Buchanans for dinner and meets their friend Jordan Baker, a golfer who is perceived to be a flapper and whom Nick will eventually start a relationship with. Nick learns through her that Tom was having an affair with a woman named Myrtle Wilson, who frequently phones the Buchanan house. Myrtle lives in a poor area of New York called the Valley of Ashes with her husband George, who works in a garage. Later, Nick receives a formal invitation to one of Gatsby's parties, where he hears several rumors about Gatsby's life and how he became so rich. Gatsby watches him and eventually befriends him. They start hanging out, and Gatsby tries to impress him with stories of studying at Oxford and being a war hero. But Nick finds out that Gatsby was actually poor until after the war, and gained his riches by bootlegging. Through Nick, Gatsby and Daisy reunite. Hoping to recapture the past and win her back, he pressures her to tell Tom that she never loved him, and then leave him for Gatsby. This backfires when he, Daisy, Tom, Nick, and Jordan drive to the city one day. Tom and Gatsby get into an altercation over Daisy, which ends in her and Gatsby leaving together in his car. Meanwhile, George, suspicious about Myrtle's whereabouts all this time, confronts her about the possibility that she has been cheating on him. He decides to lock her inside of the house and eventually move her out of New York. Myrtle breaks free just as Gatsby's car approaches. She runs into the street and is hit and killed by the car. Daisy, who was driving the car, is distraught, so rather than stopping, Gatsby takes the wheel and drives off. After Myrtle's death, Daisy leaves Gatsby and returns to Tom. Tom tells George that the car belonged to Gatsby, and George thinks he is the one Myrtle has been cheating with. George walks to Gatsby's house with a pistol, shoots him while he is in his pool, and dies by suicide. No one attends Gatsby's funeral. After witnessing all of these events, Nick, who has broken up with Jordan, leaves New York and moves to the Midwest. Woo-wee! That's a lot, right? Well, you'll hear me say this a lot on this podcast. Classic literature is messy. But let's get into this analysis. I'm going to discuss literary devices that stuck out to me, including a couple of themes. Symbolism. There are a lot of symbols in this novel that are vital to the story, but for the sake of time, I'll only discuss two of them since they are two of the most important ones. First is the green light at the end of the Buchanan's dock in East Egg. The green light flashes to warn or signal to boats. Gatsby often goes out to watch the light flash. On page 25, Nick says this. I decided to call to him. Miss Baker had mentioned him at dinner, and that would do for an introduction. 
but I didn't call to him for he gave a sudden intimation that he was content to be alone. He stretched out his arms toward the dark water in a curious way. And as far as I was from him, I could have sworn he was trembling. Involuntarily, I glanced seaward and distinguished nothing except a single green light, minute and far away, that might have been the end of a dock. When I looked once more for Gatsby, he had vanished, and I was alone again in the unquiet darkness. So what this means is that Gatsby may not be able to see Daisy or her house across the water, but when he sees the green light, it reminds her that she is there. So the green light is a symbol of Gatsby's love and desire for Daisy. And when he stretches out his hand out to the light, it shows his longing to have her back in his life again. You may also notice that as he's watching the light, he's also watching her. He even collects old newspaper articles and photos of a young Daisy Fay. Creepy much? The second symbol I'll talk about is the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg, which are pictured on an old billboard. The doctor's eyes look over the Valley of Ashes. This could symbolize a number of things, but one clear meaning of the billboard is that it can represent God's omniscience. Take a listen to what Nick overhears George saying after Myrtle's death. I spoke to her, he muttered after a long silence. I told her she might fool me, but she couldn't fool God. I took her to the window. With an effort, he got up and walked to the rear window and leaned with his face pressed against it. And I said, God knows what you've been doing. Everything you've been doing. You may fool me, but you can't fool God. Standing behind him, Michaela saw with the shock that he was looking at the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg, which had just emerged pale and enormous from the dissolving night. God sees everything, repeated Wilson. That's an advertisement, Michaela assured him. Something made him turn away from the window and look back into the room. But Wilson stood there a long time, his face close to the window pane, nodding into the twilight. Recently, when I read that, I started thinking... If the eyes on the billboard symbolize God, let's think about this. Myrtle supposedly paid the piper with her life, but Tom gets off scot-free. Because of Tom's deception, Gatsby dies in his place. Was it because of his own shady dealings? Do any of the three deserve to die for their wrongdoings? Feel free to let me know what you think about that. Glitz, Glamour, and the American Dream Before I say anything else, I need everyone to understand one thing. This novel is not a fairy tale. I can't tell you the amount of times I've seen Gatsby and Dazing being over-romanticized. I'm telling you right now, what happened in this novel is not the life you want. The point of the novel is to point out the dark side of this kind of life. The basic definition of the American dream is that anybody can be successful with hard work and determination. Unfortunately, this does not work for everybody. And this is what people don't understand. I guess you could say that in some sense that the American dream is a lie. Just look at how Gatsby got his riches. He went on and on trying to impress Nick with tall tales about himself, but it did not change the fact that he was a bootlegger and ultimately a shady person, and where did it get him? You could also look at Myrtle and George living in the Valley of Ashes. Myrtle frequently escapes with Tom to the city to get taste of the high life, but Tom is not who you would call romantic or glamorous at all. He speaks to her and everyone really rudely, and he punched her in the face in front of a whole bunch of people, including her sister. So in both cases, glamour is like a drug. It can elevate you and it can ultimately destroy you. Recapturing the past. Gatsby has unfortunately cultivated an obsession with winning Daisy back. And when I say obsession, I mean a bad obsession. Collecting photos, newspaper articles, peer pressure. But Nick tries to tell him that it is impossible to recreate the past. Listen to how Gatsby responds. 
can't create the past, he cried incredulously. Why, of course you can. He looked around him wildly, as if the past were lurking here in the shadow of his house, just out of the reach of his hand. Whoa, calm down, James. I'm going to have to agree with Nick here. Here's why Gatsby's plan to recreate the past didn't work. Once things happen, you can't make them unhappen. Gatsby can't unenlist in the army. Daisy can't unbreak up with him or unmarry Tom or unhave a child with him. Daisy has already made a vow to her husband and she can't take it back. And his attempt to steal Daisy from Tom only caused more problems. Now that I've done my analysis, I'm going to do something fun before we close out. I'm going to compare the novel to two film adaptations, and I'm not doing the 2013 version, so don't ask. <laughs> First, let's talk about the 1949 version. Now, here's the thing about Hollywood. Hollywood filmmakers and their audiences were suckers for happy endings. So much so that they were willing to throw the whole story off. That being said, this movie was a completely different story. First off, it was mostly Gatsby's point of view instead of Nick's. That in itself took away the, from the mysterious nature of Gatsby's character and I felt like I knew way too much about him, too early in the movie. Other than that, most of the characters were off. The plot was inaccurate, there were several events cut out and extra events added. It was all over the place. For some examples, it seemed like the writers were too focused on the relationship between Daisy and Gatsby. I dare say it felt too forced. The point of the story is for Gatsby to lose Daisy's love. In this movie, she demands that Tom warn him against George, insists that she'll hate him forever if anything happens to Gatsby, Daisy was too nice in my opinion. In the novel, Nick describes Daisy as a careless person who mashes things up with money. I didn't get that with a 1949 Daisy. There's also not very much about the dark side of the American dream until the very end. I also didn't like the ending. It was still sad, but again, it was too happy for The Great Gatsby. Overall, I did not like this movie at all. However, the 1974 version I really loved. The plot was mostly accurate, the characters were portrayed well, and it wasn't trying too hard. One part in the movie that I loved was when Daisy was in Gatsby's house, and he was showing her his closet. He starts throwing out all the shirts for fun, and Daisy grabs one and cries into it. I thought to myself, what a Daisy thing to do. <laughs> because first of all, she's crying about how nice the shirts are. Second, Gatsby is making a mess that he won't clean, and Daisy is probably getting a whole bunch of makeup on the shirt, knowing very well she won't have to wash it. So yeah, very accurate. The character accuracy was very, very convincing. Jordan was the perfect amount of immature, Tom was the perfect amount of rude and obnoxious, and Myrtle was the perfect amount of annoying. So overall, this movie was pretty solid. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode. Thank you for listening. There were obviously spoils in this episode, but if you would still like to read the novel for yourself, I encourage you to. Also, feel free to watch the movies. Even if you want to watch the 2013 version, I'm not stopping you, but I'm not recommending it. Also, feel free to visit my blog, follow me, and share your thoughts on things I didn't touch on. My handle is at k.a.r.blog on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the KAR Recap. Subscribe to this podcast so that the new episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. Take care and see you next time.